This podcast contains language and concepts which may not be suitable for young listeners. The following audio record forms part of the department's ongoing investigation into the actions of Eugene Kirkley, a.k.a. Gideon Vermello, and his operations in the town of Alara. Testimonies recorded here are confidential and have not yet been officially corroborated by secondary or tertiary sources. Recently, my beloved, we have once more fallen victim to the suppressive lies of the outside world. Terrible falsehoods about sexual perversions and even weapons have come into our midst. Harmony's okay. I know that's probably your first question. She's fine. She's had a bit of a health scare. Probably something to do with the baby. I'm taking her back to Ulara so she can see a doctor and be with people who will help to look after her. I have to tell you, seeing my sister again, after all this time, it wasn't quite what I expected. I mean, I was excited and everything, but she's changed. I'm worried about her. And some of what she said was hurtful. Even heretical. It's always the ones you love the most who can do the most damage. Like that Ben Harper song says, The stones from my enemies, these wounds will mend, but I will not survive the roses from my friends. Ugh, roadkill. We just passed a dead kangaroo on the side of the road there. Poor thing. You know, a long time ago, there were giant kangaroos in Australia. Giant kangaroos, giant platypuses, wombats the size of hippos. As if the modern wildlife wasn't weird enough. Imagine a nation with supersized versions of all these bizarre animals running around everywhere. There's this apocryphal story. That's one of Harm's favourite words. Apocryphal. We wanted to call the first EP Apocryphal Agonies, but the record company said they didn't want people reaching for a dictionary every time they saw a pop-up ad for one of our songs. Fucking vampires. Ah, uh, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent again. Where was I? Ah, yeah, so there's this apocryphal story that when Captain Cook discovered Australia, apparently you can discover somewhere that's been inhabited for tens of thousands of years, he pointed at a kangaroo and said, what's that? And an Aboriginal man replied, kangaroo, which was supposedly words that meant, I don't know. Weird that this story caught on, and kind of ironic that a myth about a misunderstanding is in itself a misunderstanding. Sometimes I think humans are geared for that. We're storytellers at our heart. As much as we pretend to be logical, rational, we all know that people will react more strongly to a single anecdote told by a close friend than piles of data relating to a population of millions. We like stories, faces, personal connections more than the truth. The truth is like an optional condiment that may or may not accompany the cut price buffet of our lives. While Harmony's sleeping, I thought I'd share with you another story from our childhood. It's a little more intense than what I've told you so far. I guess that's a language and concept warning. You know, if you have kids around or whatever. That's what a conventional broadcaster would say, isn't it? Then again, fuck. Maybe they should listen to this more than anyone else. I don't know. You figure it out. We were 14. It was summer. We had six weeks of holidays between school terms, and it was a hazy, languid time spent swimming in chlorine and probably urine-soaked public pools and escaping into the cool, air-conditioned comfort of the cinema with little or no regard for what blockbuster drivel was actually playing on the screen. 
I don't know if it was neurochemicals or hormones or what. I mean, I know there's no easy answer for these things, right? But as much as things were objectively pretty good at that time, resolutely, emotionally, unavailable parents notwithstanding, I felt like hell. I felt like the colour had been drained out of the world. Everything felt grey, mono. Food tasted like plastic. Even playing music didn't give me any kind of release. I hit the keys on the piano like they were controls on an operational panel that would inject endorphins and serotonin into my brain, but nothing happened. I spent days in bed, not listening to music, not watching TV, not reading, just staring at the ceiling. I felt like a cardboard cutout of myself, like someone had taken the thing that made me, me, and secretly removed it, leaving behind a shallow husk. One night, not out of any sense of drama or crying for help or teenage angst or anything like that, I decided to kill myself. Maybe that's not even the right word. I didn't want to die. I just wanted to stop existing. It wasn't like I wanted to destroy myself out of a sense of agony. It was more like I just wanted to hit the off switch for a movie I'd lost interest in. If I could have entered some kind of cryonic chamber, I probably would have done that. Apparently, that's actually an option these days. You can pay some insane amount of money to have your body put on ice, or for a discount fee, you can undergo neurosuspension, where they just take care of your severed head, assuming that they can regrow the rest of your body with future technology. That's putting a lot of faith in a corporation. I mean, I know there are breweries that have been in constant business for hundreds of years, but they're definitely the outliers. Imagine investing your frozen head with a business that closes up shop and just chucks your bodily, unencumbered brain into a landfill somewhere. So, cryonics not being a viable option for a mentally unstable 14-year-old, I decided to take what complete sociopaths refer to as the easy way out. I didn't want any pomp or ceremony. I didn't write a note or put on Nick Cave or light any candles. Harmony was out with whatever Neanderthal she was not exactly dating at the time. I put a bunch of roses I stole from the neighbor's garden on her bed. It was a sort of silent goodbye. I remember putting a lot of thought into the method that would cause the least amount of hassle and cleaning for my family. I decided the bath was the best option. Any mess would drain neatly away. I ran the taps, got undressed, folded my clothes neatly and placed them next to the sink. I remember giggling a little manically at the fact that I'd bothered to do this when I normally just threw my clothes all over the floor, much to the annoyance of my parents. I've always liked scalding hot water in a bath. I was a little selfish, I guess. Our bathroom didn't have an extractor fan, and so it would get pretty mouldy on the ceiling. <laughs> By the time the bath was full, the mirror was completely fogged up. I couldn't make out my reflection, just a blurry, stained glass silhouette, which was appropriate because that's sort of how I felt. I got into the bath and closed my eyes. I felt weirdly calm. Maybe calm isn't the right word. Distant. Dissociated. Like I was watching this scene happening to someone else. I'd borrowed Harmony's scissors, 
They were sitting next to the bath. That was the one thing I felt guilty about. She loved those scissors. It was really weird. She just discovered David Bowie and she was super into imitating the cut-up technique that he and William Burroughs used. The rest of us were hopeless with stationery. Mum and Dad bought new staplers and scissors and sticky tape every couple of weeks because these things would always disappear into the ether in our incapable hands. Harmony kept her scissors in a dresser drawer and never let them leave the room. I knew they'd be sharp. I didn't want any half measures. I lay in the bath for a minute and stared at them. Everything felt quiet, slow. Time seemed to dilate, like the bath was some kind of arc outside of the normal time stream. I looked at my distorted reflection in the blade of the scissors for a while, then finally reached for them. The nanosecond before my skin touched steel, I heard an angry knock on the door. River, you fucking asshole! Did you take my scissors? Are you trying to do a DIY haircut again? Because as I recall, that little adventure wasn't exactly a success story last time. She'd come home early. Her date must have said something to piss her off enough to storm out on him, which wasn't a surprise given the lunkheads she hung out with. I listened to her voice. I sat there, still and silent. I had this idea that if I said nothing, she'd just go away. She knocked again and called my name. And then I watched as the knob started to turn. I was usually so meticulous about making sure the bathroom door was locked ever since our cousin had accidentally walked in on me on the toilet a couple of years earlier. I couldn't believe I'd overlooked it. The door seemed to take months to open. I couldn't move. She yelled, I don't fucking care if you're naked, Dillbrain. I want my fucking scissors. She entered the bathroom, her presence shattering the fragile illusion of the bathroom as a time-immune arc. She looked at me. And I watched her face flicker from angry to confused, to terrified, like it was one of those flip books they used to teach autistic kids how to interpret facial expressions. We stared at each other in silence for a while, and then finally she spoke. I'll never forget. Mm. Watch. Mm. Harmony? Harmony, are you okay? She mumble think sample or something. Sorry, I think you're still pretty out of it. Maybe take a minute. Here, have some water. So thirsty. Mouth feels like a hot sand place. Desert? Mm, mm, that thing. Holy fuck, balls on toast. My head, it's filled with tiny elves smashing it with, like, mallets. And the elves are all meth heads and they're blasting speed metal and also dancing in clogs and having a fireworks ensemble. Wait, that's not the right word. Also, there's a Gravitron in there or something. And, oh, seeing stars. Take it easy. You scared me back there. Back where? In the bar. We were in a bar? Don't remember. Head like cake or pudding. Pudding head. Okay. I think you might still be a little disoriented. You got any panic dolls? Panic dolls? Sorry, no, I mean panda dolls. <laughs> it's not fucking funny, Ronald. That's not my name. Huh? Of course it is. How come... Don't even know your own name. You... Oh. Right. Sorry. River. 
Anyway, do you have any Panadol? Huh, that makes a little more sense. Sorry, I don't have any in the car. Can we stop and get some? My head feels like elves with hammers and... Wait. Did I say that bit already? Yes. Oh, well, can we stop and get some at a, a petrol thing? Petrol station? Yeah, one of those guys. We'll be home soon. I have plenty of stuff there. Okay. Wait a sec, Ron, which... That's not my name. Sorry, River. Which home are you talking about? Home, where I can take care of you. Help you get better. I'll call Dr. Brindle as soon as we get back there and I'll get you into bed. Dr. Brindle? In Ulara? Oh, fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. No, River, no. I don't want to be back in Ulara. I don't want to see Dr. Brindle. I want an actual doctor in an actual hospital with a fucking heart-listening rope thing around the neck, you know? A stethoscope. And an actual degree from an actual university, not some fucking Reiki naturopath crystal healer. Dr. Brindle is a real doctor. He's practised all over the world. He's practised pseudo-medicine in half a dozen hippie communes and island resorts where no one really cares about checking medical degrees. I've got a fucking baby inside me, River. I can't fuck around with some idiot who wants to give me homeopathic remedies. I mean, homosexual remedies. I mean, fuck. Homeopathic remedies. Oh, God. My mouth feels like it's filled with cotton on balls. Cotton wool balls. And my arms feel like they're made of spaghetti and I can barely even move my hands. Fuck. Fuck. River. Get me to a fucking real hospital. I'm going to take care of you, I promise. You'll be safe. I did my research really thoroughly. The side effects are really minimal and there's nothing that'll hurt the baby. Side effects to what? Oh God. River. What? Did you do this? Did you fucking slip me a mickey? It's okay, I promise. And you should start to relax again now. It should have kicked in already. It's the best thing for you. You should be careful not to stress. Stress is the worst thing for babies. Why don't you have some more water? Wait, wait, the bottle of water? Was the... with the... I meant my mouth hole and when I drink that? It was because we're made of water. I'm made of water. It's okay. Poor thing. We'll be home soon, Harmony. You'll be safe. I'll keep you and the baby safe. I won't let anyone hurt you. I know what a lot of you are thinking. Well, first of all, you're probably thinking I'm insane for recording this, for broadcasting it. Once upon a time, people journaled their innermost thoughts and reflections. Pens scratching on paper, chronicling fears, neuroses, fondest hopes, darkest desires. You can walk into just about any library in the world and traipse through the interior lives of Anne Frank, Virginia Woolf, or Kurt Cobain anytime you want. Playing in a band, I guess you get used to broadcasting your fears and feelings. It's just that usually you have a drumbeat behind you. I know the other thing you're thinking, that I'm crazy, that I'm unhinged. I heard this interview once with a bass jumper. 
You know those people who climb to the top of mountains and jump off and then pull the chute at the last possible moment? Someone called him crazy, and he said, What I do isn't crazy. I'm trying to enjoy life. Sitting in traffic for two hours each day to go to a job you hate to buy shit you don't need? That's crazy. Insanity, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. Let me ask you this. Is there anything you wouldn't do to save your family, the people you love? What if someone you loved became a drug addict, started to rob houses to get drug money, or spent all their pay every week on horse racing, or was in an abusive relationship where they kept saying, it's okay, he's promised me he'll stop. They might say that they're fine, that they don't want your help. They might even believe it. But would it be responsible of you to just leave them alone, no matter how much they protested? When Harmony found me in that bath, I remember telling her, it's okay. This is what I really want. You don't have to try and save me. I love you. Let me say goodbye. She walked over, grabbed the scissors, and sat down next to the bath and glared at me. After a while, she finally said, I don't fucking care what you want. You don't get to just check out on me like that. You don't get to give up before you've even started becoming the person you're going to be. And you definitely don't get to use my scissors ever again. So, this is me taking away the scissors. I'm going to wait to upload these recordings until everything's finished. Until I can be totally sure that she's safe. We're home. This week's episode was written by, you'll never guess. Yeah, it was written by me, J.M. Danellen. If you enjoyed it, you can check out my other works as well. I've got a poetry collection called Stanthal Syndrome, and my most recent novel is Killing Adonis, which is put out in the US by our sponsors, Poisoned Pen Press. I don't like to brag, but I also write under the pen names Neil Gaiman and... Margaret Atwood, so you can check those works out as well. This week we had Tom Yaxley, Jessica McGore, and Robert Zozars in this episode, and of course, as always, Jess also did the editing, sound design, production. She's amazing, we're lucky to have her. If you want to chat to us some more, we are on the social medias. You can check us out at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All of them are Six Cold Feet. If you look up S-I-X Cold Feet, you'll find us. Don't type S-E-X Cold Feet you'll find some very weird things. I assume, I haven't checked, but I'm going out on a limb and assuming that. I love talking theories and I love talking about the show. I'm not gonna tell anyone exactly what happens until the last episode's out, but I would love to chat to you all. Thank you as always to our wonderful, wonderful sponsors on Patreon and everyone who's tuned in and shared and written reviews on iTunes. We are so, so lucky to have such a wonderful audience. We have just two incredible episodes left and the next one is coming out next week. We will see you then. I guess a good man loves you, and I ain't done nothing wrong.